last week that we'd be going into depth on those, and we will. But first of all, we would like to say this, that it is impossible, literally impossible for the gifted ministries to operate like they should and the gifts of the Spirit to operate like they should in their perfection as long as the church is not set in the fashion that God had intended for it to be set. Now, when we talk, we're going to say a lot of things perhaps that might not make you feel good and might cause us, challenge us to think but the primary purpose of God and his scriptures to bring us into the life of the scriptures. Not tradition and not what man has formed, but what God has said. And far too often, we pay far too little attention to the principles of church government. How should a church be set up in order to function spiritually the way God intended for it to function? I realize because of quote, shyster ministers and, quote, shyster saints, it has been almost impossible, and mankind has sought a government in his own in order to regulate or keep the church, so to speak, in faith. Now, someplace, somewhere, we're going to have to recognize that we have been on the wrong track, that the majority of churches are not set up in the proper order. A majority of the ministry is not functioning in its proper capacity. The majority of the deacons are not functioning in their proper capacity, and so that limits that limits the move of the Holy Ghost, and it limits the ability of the fivefold ministry to function, and also limits the gifts of the Spirit to function. Now, we're going to be talking for a little while especially about the Bible definition of bishops or elders and the Bible definition of deacons and where they're supposed to be in the church of God and how the Bible tells us that your church is supposed to function. We're going to 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and we're going to read the first 13 verses. I will read the first verse, and I appreciate it. If you folks would read the other. Everybody got it? First Timothy 3. It says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given in hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker or not an orgier, not greedy of fil filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know now how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he falleth into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he should fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. 
holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of the deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now I want to turn over, and I'm going to read this myself, to Titus, who adds a little more to this. Beginning, Titus, just right over from where you're reading, right over past Second Timothy. And let's catch the fifth verse. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. You see, there has to be order. Mm -hmm. There's a certain make up the church, God-given order, and make up the church. So thou mightest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, he lays it down again, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And then it goes on to say why this must be, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who, who subvert whole houses, teaching things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Now this naturally gives a good outline of what God expects in church leadership. I stop long enough to say that the second verse, the husband of one wife, certainly has been misused in a lot of points. They argue, of course, without foundation that that was past the time of polygamy and all of this, but it was not. It was right in it, and it simply, simply means that an individual should have not have more than one wife at a time. You could not have two or three or four wives and be a bishop, and you can't have that many and be a deacon. Now, there right. are also some foundational truths in there as to what uh, actually a divorce can be or what, what it is and what we should realize that it takes. But an individual that has perhaps lost their mate by death or something like that has every legal right for marriage again plus every legal right to be a bishop or to be a deacon. Right. And also if an individual is caught or an individual's mate has been caught in adultery or desertion and all of this still has every, every legal right to be either one of them providing that he... Uh, uh, lives up to the expectations that is given there. Now, I said all that to say this. This, perhaps, is one of the main reasons why the church has gone astray. Mm -hmm. It's simply because individuals have 
taken on themselves to be elders, so to speak, without proper qualifications. Individuals have taken upon themselves or have been voted in, quote, by the church to become deacons when they do not fulfill the qualifications of the Lord. So this lives, this leaves a spiritual void in the church of God. Now we're seeking, everybody is wanting the church to come to its fullness. Come to the climax of what? To the fullness of the statue of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reaching out. We're asking. We're praying. We're fasting, some of us, for a great outpouring of the Spirit of God and a restoration, so to speak, of the things that has been lost. Right. But it takes more than just prayer and crying. It takes the reorganization of a life plus the reorganization of churches in order to fully be established in the ways of God and allow. There's been quite of, uh, of uh, dis- dispution, so to speak, about the fivefold ministry. Does it still exist? Do we still have apostles, prophets, and all of this? And yes, they do exist. I'm sure that a lot of them exist and know their work, but because of the makeup of, quote, churches and individuals, they do not have the free access to bring their ministry about. And I think we read last week that the only way the church is going to reach perfection is through the ministry of this fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and the teachers. It's the only way it's going to ever be perfected. Then it's going to perfect the church for their work. Church has a work. Individuals have a work. So we're going to talk just briefly a little bit about the church, which is an organism. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, could be likened to the blood, which is the life of the body. And without this, you can't be an organ in the body of Christ. How many know that? Right. Amen. You have to have it. So the health of this organism that we're talking about, the church, is maintained as each person yields to the Spirit and allows Him to manifest Himself or the Holy Ghost to manifest Himself through them. First Corinthians tells us, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. This is not said about natural talents or about natural abilities, but the actual expression of the Holy Ghost. I think perhaps we have depended upon man's intellect. We have depended upon abilities and talents of man more than talents that the Holy Ghost gives, and it's, it's, it's a shame. So the Holy Ghost is invisible. We can't see Him. So how do we know where He's at? The only way we can do that and the only way the Holy Ghost can come, become visible is through the members of the body of Christ as right. he expresses himself through individual members of right. the organism or the body of Christ. So as a spiritual organism, now we're not a natural one, we're a spiritual one, so we require spiritual things to live right. and spiritual things to function. Yes. Why a lot of people are weak, why a lot of people are sick, because we're a spiritual thing and we don't allow ourselves the food mm-hmm. that it takes to keep us strong and healthy spiritually. Take an individual that doesn't eat and doesn't eat the right things and doesn't eat hardly at all cannot be a spiritual man materially. He can't be physically strong. That's the same way with the spirit and sometimes this spiritual man inside there cries out for just some manner from heaven. Amen. Just get into the word of God once in a while. Or it requires uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to rejuvenate them 
and move them into the presence of the Lord. Right. So we're talking about a spiritual organism that has to be edified to stay healthy, and its source is the Holy Ghost. Yes. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now that's organism. Now we talked about organization, which scares people to death, and for good reason. But we're not talking about man's organizations. We're not talking about hierarchy that sets up here and sends down orders to the little peons. We're talking about God's organization. Right. Just like the, the skeleton, skeletal system of the body, it's the framework. It uh, gives definite form and shape to the body, causes the body to be solid and stable and, and permanent supports all the organs inside of it, causes them to be properly related one to another, causes proper movement of the body. Right. So the skeleton cannot move without the body, and the body cannot move without the skeleton. So there must be a living organism, and there simply must be an organization in the body of Christ. Now this organization of the church is simple, but yet it's vital. And we're not being spiritual to ignore uh, the organization of the church. Right. We're not being spiritual, but we're being disobedient to the pattern prescribed by the order of God. Mm -hmm. Now, basically, the, or the uh, organization of God consists of just two things. Basically. Now, it consists of elders. Now, Acts 14, 13 said, And when they had ordained them elders in every church, had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now, the Greek word for elder is presbyterus. That simply means senior, or it speaks of the man. Bishop, when you see the word bishop, that, that word is episkopos, which simply means overseer, or superintendent, and it speaks of the man's office. And when you hear pastor or teacher or whatever, this speaks of the individual's work. So every minister is an elder. Right. Now, you hear such names as elder so-and-so, and then if he gets so many churches under him, he's bishop so-and-so and all of that. But every individual is an elder. Some people hold the office, so to speak, of a, of a bishop, which is an overseer of all the uh, different elders that's in the church. But elders in every church, they are important. Yes. I want you to notice that they were in every church. And a detail less to the qualifications we just read. Right. We need to realize that. Now, our study of their qualifications reveals that they are men with governmental ministries over the household of God. Now, these elders, again, fall in several categories. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's found in... Ephesians 4.11. And there's a great variety of these ministers, through the, though their basic functions are similar, the end result is not the same. That's why we need to realize that there's ministries ever wanting to operate in individual local churches which have been ignored simply because we have been programmed to just to the pastor. I mean, he's to function in every area. Yes. He's to be the elder in every area. He's to be the satisfaction in every area. But in the beginning, it was not so. In other words, there is room for in individual churches an apostle. There is room for prophets. There is room for an evangelist, pastors, and teachers. Now, 
You'll maybe understand that a little bit more when we get into that. But one elder might be an excellent teacher, uh, have the ministry of a teacher, but he's not able to be an apostle or he doesn't have an evangelistic message. Right. And when that elder is like that, he shouldn't assume a ministry that he's not equipped for. And a lot of ministers, pastors, so to speak, have been placed into positions they haven't been equipped for. Right. This lowers them and it lowers the spiritual uh, effect of their congregation. Right. The Holy Spirit makes known to every individual what their ministry really is. Every individual knows. Now we have problems, so to speak, because some people are called teachers. That's all they're called for. Right. They have a, a, a good relationship with God in the area of just teaching God's Word. Amen. Well, when an individual comes along like this, and he doesn't get excited too much, and he's just good, solid, basic Bible teaching, then we want to compare him to an evangelist, so to speak, that has the ability to call attention, so to speak, and get us involved in winning souls. Or we want to call their, their attention, put them alongside somebody that is, is moving out more in the Spirit. And so we make them a second-hand individual. But they are most important in the church yes. of the living God. Yes. And all of those ought to be in there. In other words, Definitely. they ought to be recognized. We have in our uh, small assembly, Brother Gerald Buford, a, a fine teacher. Yes. Probably one of the uh, best that, that I know of when it comes actually to just laying forth and teaching God's Word. We should not desire Him to be any more than what His calling is. Right. And we should accept Him just as much as you accept my Word and my message, accept His Word as He lays it out in the form and fashion that He's called out Amen. to do. We have Brother Donnie uh, Bayer who is an individual in his own right. And we probably have others that are called but yet can't seem to find any place to function in a local church. It has always been the consensus, so to speak, that uh, there should be just one preacher in local churches. That's erroneous. They ought to be more than that. They should be uh, a pastor or a bishop, the one where the ball stops at, so to speak. But every individual that has a calling on his life, whether he feels a calling of a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher, ought to be able to be in a local church and function in this local church and be accepted just the same as anyone else is Amen. accepted. Amen. You see, your church is limited. If you only had a teacher, your church would be limited. It could not experience the, the energy that an evangelist puts forth or, or maybe the, the, the um, move or explosion that uh, some excitable individual engineers, so to speak, they, they couldn't do that. So you need something to offset that. I need something to, to simply put it down into God's hands. So elders are required in a church. Now you're going to notice, and we'll get to more of that later, never at any time did they just ordain one elder. Elder has been plural in every church. Yes. You see, we've been limited. We have ministries that's been set out here someplace and say you have no... Uh, you got no work in this church because we already have a pastor. Well, that's erroneous. Some way, somehow, God, bring us back. Bring us where we ought to be. Bring us to the place where the power of God could move on us. And then the only other 
workers mentioned as far as in the organization of a local church is deacons. The word deacons comes from the word diac- diaconos, which simply means servants in the church. Right. Now that's those who carry on the physical aspect of the work. You'll notice in the Old Testament, priests in the Old Testament that just carried different items of the tabernacle while they were journeying or was in charge of some uh, uh, physical aspect or material aspect of the church. And these were called deacons, and they were directly spoken of in Acts chapter 6. I want to read that. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministrations. Then the twelve called a multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In other words, the church was growing. Yes. They, they had formulated elders. There was apostles active in that. There was prophets active in that. There was evangelists. Timothy was an evangelist active in that. And there were individuals uh, acting in the role of pastors, individuals acting in the role of teachers, and the church was growing. Right. And these individuals were having to take time out from the study formation prayer of God's Word and take time out to take care of some physical aspects and material aspects of the church. And uh, they immediately set in order something that started almost from the day of Pentecost, inception of the church. They started something as they said, look you out, talking to the church, talking to the members of the body of that church. You look you out, good men, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint them over this business so that we can give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. They had to be spiritual men because it would have been impossible for them to delight in the work that they were going to do, which was menial task, things that nobody got much praise for. Got a lot of opposition against never, but never much praise for it. And they had to certainly delight in their work and they had to be spiritual men or they could never have done this type of work and they have to love people. They have to be even-tempered, individuals that are honest, individuals that do the best they know how. And they were placed there to take the business load off of the ministering elders. Now there's still a place for common sense and intelligent and reasoning in the affairs of the church. And so might I say this without uh, trying to throw any stones at all. One of these days, and it has to be shortly, God's church, local churches. Now this was not just necessarily a whole church, a complete body of Christ all over the world. These things were set up in every local church. You follow the Apostle Paul when he established the church. He insisted that they have elders operating there. He insisted they have deacons. And he also laid down the laws of what? An elder, qualifications of an elder, qualifications of a deacon. Now let me say this without casting any, any stones. We have disintegrated. Now that's not necessarily just here, but that's almost every place you go. We have disintegrated into a place 
Well, it's no problem. We just elect the deacon on their personality. Uh, we elect them on the, uh, their ability to give money uh, into the house of the Lord. And if we're not careful, we simply do not check the qualifications. And deacons ought to check their own qualifications. Amen. Amen. All right? We ought, just like an elder myself, I have to realize that I am under these qualifications. If I don't fulfill them, then it's a dangerous place for me to be. That's true. And that's the same way with deacons or elders. Now, you're going to notice, and uh, I don't think I've had it said here, but in one place I went, uh, they were worldly individuals, devoid of the Spirit of God, didn't have the Holy Ghost in their life, and still they were deacons, so supposedly, of the church. And uh, I showed them, knowing that they was not fulfilling these things. I knew their life, and they did too. And I showed them their scripture, and they said this, well, we're not really deacons, we're trustees. And I said, well, find me the word trustee in the Bible. All right? Find me where that's at and how you can qualify for that. So there's elders, needs to be in the church, there's deacons. I mean, if you're over the material affairs of the church, then... You're a deacon if you're going yes. to have the church set up in its right order. You are a deacon, yes. and you are just as, as just as necessary for you to qualify as it is for me to qualify. Amen. All right? Yes. So God is trying to tell us that there is a spiritual order, and he also tries to tell us that there's, there's cautions in the principles of government. Now, a lot of churches are ruled by democracy. You know, democracy is a big thing. In other words, that's a government set up where the people do the ruling. All right? Then there is a dictatorship. That's a government where it's ruled by one man. In other words, you've got a pastor, and he's the supreme uh, force of the thing, and he does the thing, and nobody else has anything to say about it. And then, of course, there's God's government, which is theocracy, and that's a government ruled divinely through his priests or through his elders and through his deacons. Now, in order to have a balanced church, cooperating with God in spiritual government, we have to avoid these extremes. I want to point you to a scripture in Revelations. You mark it and read it. And uh, this has been a historical problem. It, it hasn't just started. It's been almost ever since 300 A.D. And it poses a lot of problems yet and weakens the move of God in churches. That's not to say we're sinners above all. That's not to say that God doesn't bless us, but are we, are, are we not interested in the perfection of the saints? Amen. Are we not interested in finding our place in God and interested in our body functioning with an outreach that God wants us to have? If we are, then we'll be concerned about where we have failed at. Mm -hmm. We'll be concerned about which direction we can go next. Right. Now, in Revelation 2.6, it talks about the sin of Nicolaites, Nicolaitanes. Now, they have been several tried to find that this was a sect of some type, but, of course, they can never find that. That simply comes from two words. Number one is Nico, which means to conquer, and Laos, which means the people are the laity. Now, some interpret this, that the sin of that was the priest, so to speak, or the ministry conquered the laity or brought them under their control and uh, puts, put the clergy on a high and exalted level and demands that people come through them, come to God through them. Well, you see, you can see this plainly in the Catholic Church.
And not only can you see it in there, but we don't brand it, but you can almost see it as it comes down to the ages of time to almost any church, even Pentecostal churches. You have the assumption of priestly authority. The individual that don't believe that anybody has a right to anything but him. If there's going to be gifts of the Spirit, it has to come through elders, they think. If there's a move or anything, it has to come uh, through the elders. And this is what they say is conquering the laity. But sometimes in the Greek, those words are turned around, and it could be simply put laos niko, which means the people conquer the clergy. In other words, the people then become the ruling class, the people become the ruling force, and the people tell the the people tell the elders or the ministry what to do. Right. In other words, it's no small thing in a lot of churches to have them call in the pastor and say, "You don't preach about this, and you don't preach about this, and you don't do this, and you don't do that, or something else." Well, that means the people have conquered the, the clergy. And uh, neither one of them is God's system. Neither one of them is what God is wanting. Uh, Because this is denying people a direct approach to God. In other words, you have to come to God yourself. Amen? You have to come to Him yourself. I can't remit your sins. I can pray with you. I can be concerned about you. And also, the other way around, this denies the ministry their right position in God. In other words, if a minister is worth his salt in his bread, he's going to try to find out what God wants the people to know. He's going to spend some time in study and in prayer. And if he's called in by a bunch of people and they give orders to the uh, deacons or elders to tell the preacher what to preach, it limits his recourse with God. That's right. All right? And God is trying to move us out from that and bring us into His divine way of theocracy. He's always been that type of a God. Never been a God of democracy where the people have the say or a God uh, or a monarchy which is just ruled by one man. So we must some way, somehow, get the right approach to God. The central theme of the Bible is for us to come to God. Now, the Dark Ages is largely responsible for destroying people's initiative to approach God for themselves. It's still a system in churches of improper government. Now, we can look at the Catholic Church as our example, of course, and the priest demands that individuals come through him. He's the vicar. In other words, he's the representative of God. In other words, if you get to God, you have to come through him. So what this did was cripple the initiative of people to get to God for themselves. Now, of course, we don't have all that type of government, but yet, somewhere, somehow, down through the dark ages and ages of time, individuals have their, their individual initiative has been destroyed, and some way they don't feel like they can approach God for themselves. I don't know how many individuals, and I've spent a lot of time on this in different churches I've been in. Uh, the church at Rosie Claire is functioning. We had uh, deacons there functioning, the right type of deacons. We had elders. We had teachers in that church. Uh, we had prophecy, prophets in that church. We had the ap- 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 apostles, so to speak, functioning in their area. Almost everything there 
And would you know when I left, I was a pastor there for 19 years, when I left, that church went right on. Ministers under me. Brother Harold Green that came here and spoke uh, was, was a minister under me. Brother Hernandez was a ministry under me. The present pastor uh, of the church, Brother Butch Norns, was a minister under me. Brother Bud Hicks was a minister under me. Uh, uh, Brother Larry Lance was a minister under me. And all of this to bring about the right type of a move to feed the sheep of God. Yes. Sometimes, regardless of how good or how bad he is, people need to hear another voice. Amen. They need to see another approach. And they need pastors and teachers and evangelists and, and prophets and, and all of this. And they need all of that. But I've had individuals to come and Never sought God for themselves. Preacher, pray for me. Preacher, pray for me. And the first thing I'd ask them, have you prayed for yourself? Oh, but I'm so weak and all of this. You're putting God down. Right. Amen. You're, you're setting yourself at naught. You're a child of God. You have access to God. Right. And you need to recognize that. And a lot of things that we go to leaders for, and I've said this before, it was God's own people that surrounded Him you notice, and kept the world, or kept the people that needed God out from Him. Notice the little woman with the issue of blood. Who was it was around Christ? It was His disciples. So tightly packed around Him that the little woman with the issue of blood could hardly get to Him. Right. And these individuals had followed Christ enough to know how to take care of some of their problem Amen. for themselves. Yes. And then when they had to let that man of the palsy down through the roof, who was surrounding him couldn't get to God for the press, who was surrounding him, God's people with their little infirmities and all of this, that they could have taken care of themselves. But we have been set in a society like that. Churches coming out of the Roman Catholic Church and, and move some of their doctrines aside, but still, still there is a quality in the midst of churches that leaders has got to do it all. Now, there's nothing wrong with you seeking God's face for every need, and then, if you need some help, there's nothing wrong with going to leaders and say, I want you to help me pray. Not pray, I want you to help me pray that these things could be taken care of. Individuals ought to seek God's face until they know the place of their ministry and their service in the local church. In other words, there's no reason for a fair person to say, I don't know where I belong. Because God can tell you where you belong. Most likely, He's spoken to every individual and told them what He wants. Our problem is, maybe we haven't been able to find a place for our particular ministry in a local church. Maybe we have been programmed so much as far as pastor being the only one that could speak and so on, and we shouldn't have a plurality of ministry in the church. Friend, if we're where we ought to be and we've moved the, uh, the jealousy and envy, so to speak, out of our lives, there's a place for all types of ministry in God's church. Amen? Amen? In fact, they're going to have to be if we, if we get back to where God wants us to. And just after 300 years of its inception, the church changed from a spirit-filled organism to a humanly organized system, and this violated God's principles of leadership and resulted in doctrinal area, uh, error and got the church in the position where it's at now. 
I want to say this. I like shouting. I like speaking in tongues. I like the move of God. I like the praise of God. I like that. In fact, the church was born like that. But it didn't just go on doing that without some type of organization in it. God given organization. And it has been for the most part, and I'll say this, as far as early Pentecost was concerned, uh, they were so afraid of organizations that they had none. Everybody just did their own thing. And the way they wanted to do it, regardless of what it was, and the spiritual principles meant very little as far as that was concerned. The Holy Ghost would take care of it all. But you still have to be founded upon spiritual principles. And, of course, the natural consequence was the Nicolaitan spirit. Man's tendency has always been, you'll have to agree with me, to assume the place of the Holy Spirit. In other words, take the place that the Holy Spirit belongs. It's always been uh, his tendency to do this, and it still is. But the spiritual pattern of the church uh, still has a responsibility given to its ministry. Now, here's some of the weightiest reasons why men turn their own talents, turn to their own talents for doing the work of God. You ever notice that when the Spirit leaves, so to speak, uh, man turns to his own wisdom, man turns to his programs, man turns to his ideas and his opinions, and he keeps the church functioning in a way, but it's devoid of the Holy Ghost. It's avoided the move of God. All we've got is individuals that come basically maybe knowing the truth, but devoid of the move of the Spirit in their lives. And that's simply because it's easier to fall into the pattern of let man do it. But we've got to give the Spirit liberty to work. All right? We've got to simply come to ourselves and say, Master, what do you want? And the believer, in order for the Spirit to work, has to be in full obedience to the Spirit. We have to be sensitive enough to know where God is, sensitive enough to know what God wants, and sensitive enough to say, Lord, if I'm supposed to be a big toe, I'll be that. I'm supposed to be the sole of a foot, I'm going to be that. Wherever you want me to function, I want to function in there, and I want to be the very best big toe I can be. All right? I want to be the very best doormat, so to speak, I can be. In fact, whatever I am, God has called you to sing, you need to be the best singer you can be. God has called you as a musician, you need to be the very best one you can be. Not what man expects. And God called you, he probably didn't expect you to be a liberace, so to speak, but he did expect you to do the best you could and give everything you've got into the local body of Christ. If God called you to be a prayer warrior, He meant for you to be the best prayer warrior you could be. If God wanted to put you in an amen corner, which we really need in this church, an amen corner, if God called you to be in there, then be the best amen that you can be. You're not going to bother me when you say amen and say it real loud. It won't scare me at all. In fact, it may later on. I'm kind of getting used to the quietness of it all. But after a while, you holler it real loud, I'll wake up, all right? That's just kind of like saying, seek him. And if you don't like what I'm saying and can't say amen, that means so be it. Just say, oh me. Or just say, I don't believe it. <laughs> amen. And then we'll have a discussion. But when you say, I don't believe it, be prepared to back up. All right? What you don't believe. Is that all right? 
I mean, if you don't believe something, don't just say, I don't believe it. Don't be like the old brother in Rosie Claire Church when he uh, got all messed up in Scripture and he finally come to fact and he said, I don't care what the Bible says. I've always believed it this way. <laughs> and of course, that old man just simply said what a lot of us think. <laughs> you know, it don't make any difference what the Bible says this or not. It's been this way for years. At one church say, don't come in here meddling around with our situation. We've run this church like this for 50 years. And that's the way it's going to be. Well, that's fine. I don't want to meddle with anybody's situation. But I want to point out, if we want the move of God, if we want the reality of God, we're going to have to start functioning the way God wants it to function and get the church set the way God wants it set up. And get the ministries exploding from where they're at and the deacons exploding from where they're at and realize what they have taken on is not a profitless drudgery, but a calling of God just as important as filling this pulpit. And individual saints of God to realize that this is God's order. Now one of the weaknesses of the modern present day pastorate, so to speak, is the failure to produce a strong lay ministry. I mean, a lot of churches are so over-dependent upon one man to do all the work, and over-dependent upon one man to do this, and to do that, and something else. And if the pastor, that one man that they placed all of this on... If this pastor is ever taken from their midst, the church suffers. The church goes down. The church finally is sick. Why? Because it has pointed to that one individual. He's the one that got people in the church. He's the one that preached. He's the one that prayed. He's the one that, that moved spiritual gifts. He's the one that the church pointed to for the functioning of the church. And when he's gone, the body ministry is not present. What I'm trying to say is we need a church that regardless of whether there are times when we do not have somebody to fill this pulpit, that this church will maintain its integrity and continue on with its membership, losing no one until somebody else comes along. There should be enough ministry in the church to establish it and enough faithful saints to put their faith in that. In other words, a church should never depend upon one man for its membership. When it does, you're going to have up and down. Up and down. Up and down, depending on who stands in the pulpit. Depending on the type of individual he is as to how the church is. In other words, if you bring a man in here that is, uh, that is evangelistic type, and he's good, and he visits, and so on, and he's exciting, and so on, and he builds a church immediately. He establishes you. You got you got a church full, and then when this minister leaves, there's nobody else around, and so one by one they begin to drop off. Why? Because it has been this man that has built your church. Amen. And when he is gone, so is your membership. But what you actually need, saints of God, is to be aware that you are the sheep. 
You are responsible for filling these pews. It doesn't come from this pulpit. It is not up to the pastor to build your church. It is up to the pastor to preach and to feed and to tell them what they need, but it's up to you to see that souls is born into the kingdom of God. And when you bring a soul in, and when you feel responsible for that soul, it doesn't make any difference who's filling this pulpit, that soul will still be here. All right? That's a strong, dependable church. But if the pastor is taken out of the midst like this, uh, then the church, so to speak, is disintegrates. Failure in the ministry is often the result of depriving our members, so to speak, of the privilege of engaging fully in their ministry and exercising the gifts of the Spirit that is given to them. There needs to be, they ought to be, from this particular congregation, they ought to be gifts of the Spirit. They ought to be tongues. There ought to be interpretations. There ought to be prophecies. There ought to be on and on you could go of individuals in this congregation fulfilling their ministry and doing their part. One of the greatest things you can experience as far as a pastor or leader is concerned, our church, is to watch individual members stand up knowing they have a gift, and utilize that gift. And one stand up, give a message in tongues, wait a while, let another interpret that message in tongues. Our gifts of healing is not just in the hands of the clergy and the ministry, should be in the hands of individuals out there has found their place in God. Prophecy, individuals that stand up and speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, should come from male and female alike in individuals that occupy the pew in the church of God. You want a church that's alive? You want a church that's exciting? You have a body ministry. Amen? You have individuals who realize that they do have something that comes from God. Now, teaching simply won't produce Christians fully developed. They have to be led into understanding and led into how they can be efficient in service. Theory without practice and experience won't produce anything that needs to. So there's a difference in just teaching people and the actual leading of people into the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit. In other words, we need to make them realize, as we're trying to do in this Sunday morning lesson, and God help me, everybody ought to be here. All All the deacons should be here, all right? Every individual should be here to realize we do have a place to feel in our assembly. Now, if you're satisfied with your church the way it is, then make no move, because that's exactly the way it'll stand. But you are concerned about lost souls. If you're interested about mom and dad or brother or sister or neighbor or friend, and interested in their physical health as well as their spiritual life, if you're interested in them, then you're going to try to find out God. How can we establish the right relationship with you? How can we get the right organization in us and the right organism in order to be able to reach these individuals? In other words, there's strength in power. If we could simply find the church found where it belongs in the body of Christ and function where it belongs in the body of Christ, we could bind the powers of hell until sickness would be at a minimum. All right? 
until disease would be conquered by the power of God because it couldn't stand because the church was a living organism. And you have gifted men plus gifts of the Spirit. If ever a gift of the Spirit was in operation that's supposed to be in operation in the church, it would decrease disease and sickness and despair and depression in the body of Christ 90%. Amen. Because there's a gift inside almost for everybody. And there's gifted ministries that could come in with authority in areas that could bring these demonic forces under control. But it is a necessity to realize, saints, that we have more of a responsibility than just coming to the house of God. Some of us don't even realize our responsibility of coming to God's house. And others recognizing that feel as if we have been there and sat and listened to the singing and maybe took part in it a little while and, and listened to the preacher preach and then we could go home feel like we have really done God's service. But the truth of the matter is it goes far deeper than that. There's something God is depending upon us. And another weakness is this, and I, I don't know that it's so much so in this area, but when a church has true revival and ministries begin to spring up all over the place, then pastors uh, see them and recognize what's in them and what can be in there, so they just simply pick them up and send them to the best Bible school they know how to send them to. And this weakens the local church because you're taking young ministers out of the church that was placed in the church. In other words, a church ought to be equipped where it could bring up its own ministries. Right. Where its own ministries could evolve from it. So, say, say take, take this for instance. Uh, if I was a pastor here and was going to be here for years, and it would be my responsibility to recognize ministerial attributes from somebody in here. And it would be their responsibility to accept the call of God. And then it would be my responsibility to bring this ministry along so that when the time come for me to depart and go on to another work, I could just immediately slop this ministry in there so there would be no vacancy. Right, right. And the people would not have to do what they're not supposed to do, and that's vote in a pastor. It's true. I said it. Yes. And I believe it. Amen. 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 I believe it places people in precarious condition. I really don't know the answer to all of it. I realize why it's disintegrated to that. But people should never, never have to be able to say, I want this one or I want that one or I want something else. It should be under the divine organization of God. Amen. And would move them out of their place of being in a precarious, a precarious condition with the Lord. Dangerous. This is the way it should be. Very dangerous. And it'll work. I'll say it'll work. I'm not just up here and I'm not tooting my own horn. It has happened. Yes. I can point you to two or three churches where we've been in and taught almost this very same lesson. Uh, the, the spirit that we need and the true foundation and true principles of the church and the individuals have desired that's what they wanted yes. and it has worked. It has worked. It's taken the responsibility off of people that they didn't need. 
took them out of the pre- precarious conditions with God and allowed God to function. Yes. Allowed God to formulate His government. Allowed God to move and found real good spiritual individuals that could very well take hold of the reins of the church under divine direction from God without you having to write yes or no upon a little ticket and send it in and say, this is the one we want. Because God never intended for it to be that way. God said this, and that's where the danger is. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That's the danger when individuals elect their own minister. They can elect who they feel like is going to be easier on them. You sure got a fooling, didn't you? (laughs) But that's the danger, see. And people are placed in that position. I'm not saying uh, that you have done it. I'm saying the program. And we've been programmed to this. And some way God changed it. Some way God let us take our responsibilities and let us get where God wants us to be and change this thing and let it be under the rulership and governorship of Almighty God. Send us elders subject to the Spirit. Send us deacons subject to the Spirit. Let us function in our place and let God do the thing that He wants to do. Let the Holy Ghost have it one more time. And you'll find out when the Holy Ghost is God and it'll do some things. Hallelujah. Well, I hate to go on. I want to... uh, Some people said, well, what is the difference between between theocracy and dictatorship? And I I wanted to point out some difference, and maybe we'll do that next week. This is going to be quite a series, and I don't want you to get tired of it, because if I ever felt anything, and I want to bear my heart to you, if I ever felt anything since I've been here that is worthwhile, and it will work for us, it's this. I really feel like that it is. I feel like it, it's God-given. I feel like it's necessary. I feel like after I've unloaded it, and I've given it to you, I'd hate to see it just go on like some other things as if it never happened. Because one of these days we're going to be called into account. If we don't know, if we don't know, then God doesn't hold accountable too much. But when we know, then it's up to us somewhere, somehow to begin to realize, hey, something's got to change. Something's got to change. Now, let me say this, and again, not detrimental to you. If I didn't love you people, I wouldn't have ever came here. But I've been in and out of this congregation since 1975. Most of you, a lot of you have been here before that time and some have come in since. But I have watched good people and and loving people and kind people and I've been praying people. But I watched this and it some way moves my heart. I have watched the thing move and blossom and bloom. And I've watched it fold. And then watched it blossom and bloom again. And I've watched it come down. You'll have to agree with me. You just well say amen. And all of this is because it has been hinged to one man, the pastor. If we don't have a pastor, nothing can happen. Something can happen. 
utilize your ministry that is in the church, get behind them until God sends somebody else. And pray these things. God, raise them up from within us. Raise it up from us. us. Let us produce us a leader. Let us do this. And when we do this, Oh, I realize people say, well, prophet's not without honor saving his own country. Oh, let me tell you something. Raise, raise your children. Ra- raise this individual. Pray that God will put it on somebody's heart. And I, I know one or two in here now that feels the call of the ministry in their life. I wouldn't call you for the world, but you feel it and you have for some time. And, and you just kind of run from it. And that's why you're so miserable. <laughs> that's why you're a little bit unstable. Because you haven't said, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it. But pray some way that God will give you what it takes so that what this church is, whether it's 65 or 70 or comes to 100, that it doesn't have to go down to 30 or 35 every time somebody walks out from this pulpit. It's not what God wants. And God certainly doesn't want us to tie our wagon, hitch it behind one man, and tie souls to that one man's place I think that might be why God sent me here I'm certainly not evangelistic I'm certainly not charismatic I'm certainly not about to go out into the town and drag people in so God's going to God's actually saying it's up to you if you want it done you have to do it and I'm going to tell you this one thing if you do it you'll be concerned about them alright and I'll tell you what I'll love them I will. I'll love them. I'll take care of them. I'll give them the best I got. I'll give them a switching whenever they need it. I'll set them on my lap whenever I have to. I'll take care of them. I'll nourish them. I'll feed them. And I'll love them for as long as I'm here. Well...